everyone, and welcome to this podcast. Australians living in rural and remote areas may have more difficulty accessing the necessary health services to manage their diabetes. My name is Jan Alford and I'll be your host today. And in this podcast, we will discuss the impact of geography on diabetes services and education. We'll address the impact of geography as well as some cultural, linguistic and socioeconomic barriers that can limit people's access to diabetes-related services and education. And on that note, I would like to introduce Laura Zimmerman, who will share with us how she overcomes some of these particular barriers. Laura graduated from the University of Queensland with a Bachelor of Nursing degree in 2008 and accepted a clinical position at Queensland's largest hospital, the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital, a world leader in healthcare, research and innovation. Laura went on to pursue postgraduate specialist qualifications in both chronic disease and diabetes education management, graduating with a high distinction. Laura has established a leading edge private practice called McIntyre Health, offering exceptional health care and education throughout rural Queensland and New South Wales. Laura is also co-founder of Your Health Now with Dr. Merrin Tomei, a website designed to provide health education that can be accessed from anywhere in the world, and a podcast series designed to empower you on your path to vitality, freedom and purpose. Laura is passionate about improving people's access to the very best in health and wellness service, services, regardless of where they live and work. So hello, Laura, and how are you today? I'm great. Thank you for asking. Okay. Thanks, Laura. What is your experience of delivering services to rural and remote communities then? So uh, my my husband uh, was born and bred in Gundawindi, um, but we we moved back to Gundawindi uh, in 2012. And at that time, I became a practice nurse at the Gundawindi Medical Center. I was asked to expand um, the diabetes clinics to chronic disease management clinics from the ground up. This is quite the learning curve, but but I was keen and, and knew from my experience in nursing and discharge planning how incredibly important primary care intervention and management was to keep patients well and, and out of hospital. So we started in, in Gundawindi and were able to initiate a chronic disease management clinic at the Bogabilla Community Health Center in New South Wales, just across the border. It's about you know a 10-minute drive. And I'm very proud to say that these clinics are still running and successful today. And, and through my work in these uh, CDM clinics, I found a huge passion for diabetes and was really keen to explore this further. I idolize the CDEs um, I, I, I worked with, and I still really can't believe I'm able to call them colleagues today. And when I graduated from the postgrad program, I took a position as a diabetes educator and later a grade two clinical nurse specialist for New South Wales Health. I was based in Moray, but serviced three different hospitals as well as outpatient clinics at six different sites. It was incredibly challenging and rewarding to have that level of exposure and responsibility to grow as a diabetes educator, but also to use multiple strategies of telehealth and communication to provide care that was beneficial and culturally appropriate between my on-site visits. I was managing from, you know, clients from Morialda, Bingra, Mori, Mungandai, Tumla, and Bogabila on any given day in addition to being Maury's cardiac rehabilitation coordinator. As you can imagine, there there was quite a bit of travel in this position. And as the base of my position was in Maury, and I would travel daily from Gundawindi. And with a young family, it made more sense to start a private practice that was based in my hometown that could be um, more flexible, you know, for, for my family's needs. Um, Queensland Health and then um, the, the nearest diabetes educator would, would, would be for Toowoomba and a position was not available at the Gundawindi Hospital. So, so then I started my practice 
Miss McIntyre Health, which grew from servicing a weekly clinic in Gundawindi and a fortnightly clinic in Moree to a fortnightly clinic in Inglewood and a monthly clinic at Indigicare, an Aboriginal health service provider in Gundawindi, the nursing home Coloma in Gundawindi. Um, I do visits to Texas, uh, to Bia. And I do an outreach circuit now to St. George, to both their medical center and Aboriginal Health Service, and to uh, the Kanamala Aboriginal Corporation for Health, along with dedicated telehealth days uh, through the Western Queensland PHN and uh, Diabetes Queensland Visiting CDE program. So, you know, all of this, it's it's not easy by any stretch. It does take quite a bit of coordinating and process managing, but it, it's it's always worth it. Uh, you know, the service, it's, it's needed and it's highly valued. And every day I love going to work. I think your family's very lucky to see you by the sound of things. So thank you for that. <laughs> what, what are some of the issues that you've had to overcome as a nurse educator to deliver diabetes care in these community, communities? And, and what resources do you have that you found most helpful in that setting? So in terms of you know issues that I've had to overcome, the list is endless and every day there are new surprises. And, you know, rarely we have two days the same. You know, but I think, you know, one of the first problems that most CDEs find whenever they go to new communities or services is really educating other health professionals on your role and how you fit in and fit in as part of the team to assist patient, the patient um, and the team and, um, you know, the patient achieving better health. And it's getting over the battles of having other health professionals possibly feeling threatened, you know, and, and vulnerable when you come in to review a patient's management. And it really does take a lot of trust uh, that needs whatever time required to, to develop. And a lot of that, you know, that, that trust and that rapport is developed through opportunistic conversations, you know, maybe in the tea room and, and getting some good wins on the board with your patients. And, you know, and I really can't stress this enough that fostering a team environment in everything you do is of the utmost importance. You know, at the end of the day, this is what helps the patient get safe, help the patient, sorry, get safe, high quality care, you know, and you know, another, you know, thing that we have to overcome is, is access to specialists. And, and this is huge. And so we, we've recently um, done just a podcast on, on telehealth. And I really encourage you all to listen to that as well. In, in terms of referring to specialists and other allied health is figuring out how to refer, what's the travel, is there a cost, you know, and what services are already available in the town to ensure that we're using those and, and when can we engage telehealth? So the other problem that, that I face as a rural and remote clinician is, is access to professional development. So it can be at least a 2.5 hour drive. And do remember that our roads are not smooth. You know, we, we have kangaroos and hawks and, and pigs and, and all sorts of things um, uh, that, that, that can make our uh, driving very dangerous. And, you know, and, and my drives can be up to six hours to access nearest, the nearest conferences and education site. So, you know, this along with running a business, busy practice and having a young family can make it quite tricky, not to mention expensive, um, but, you know, professional development is so incredibly important. And so what I have found um, that really works for me is, is finding alternative ways to access funding for CPD, um, accessing webinars. The ADA has fantastic webinars that have been absolutely essential for me. And developing a really solid phone-a-friend network has been just probably the most important thing that, that you can do. So some of the other challenges, you know, I found that there's quite low literacy in, in my patient population. And this is not just health literacy. This is this is literally reading and writing. Um, most of my clients are unable to, or at least at a level, you know, not a level higher than, you know, grade one or grade two. So it's been accessing or creating my own materials um, to address this while also remaining culturally appropriate. 
And to be honest, I, I really draw pictures now more than anything. Um, however, when I need to access materials, typically my nearest, you know, representatives of the different pharmaceutical companies, you know, are, you know, by and large located in Brisbane or Newcastle. And so developing these relationships to make sure that you can get, you know, um, prompt materials has been really important. But really my biggest asset in terms of accessing materials for patients has been Diabetes Queensland. They are just so incredibly important and the materials from their website, you know, through DQ and through Diabetes Australia can be printed really from anywhere, you know, I or, or we practice and, you know, and if, and if I'm still, I think I had, you know, um, I, I, I was practicing remotely and I had a patient who was blind and deaf, but we needed to help him monitor his VGLs and, and th there wasn't a fact sheet for that, but, you know, I was able to call Diabetes Queensland and they were, they were more than happy to work through this and help me problem solve and um, they've been absolutely essential. Thanks again, Laura. Um, I guess on the flip side, what are some of the challenges faced by the people with diabetes in these rural and remote communities? I mean, you've touched on the literacy issue and so on, but there must be others, I imagine. So really that the first problem that, that comes to mind is just it's just plain and simple distance. It's just the tyranny of distance. Distance away from anyone who is trained in diabetes management and can receive upskilling required to keep up with this rapidly changing field. And and again, telehealth has had a really um, important impact in this aspect. You know, and um, we, we you know, the access to, to food and vegetables, if if they can access them, you know, they're going to cost at least thirty percent more in these rural and remote communities. You know, some interesting facts that you might not be aware of. People living in remote areas have a higher prevalence of diabetes-related risk factors when compared with others. Diabetes death and hospitalization rates are twice as high in remote areas than in major cities. Socioeconomic disadvantage was associated with higher hospitalization and death rates from diabetes. And it's all—it's a really startling but important fact that Indigenous Australians are four times as likely than non-Indigenous Australians to not only have type 2 diabetes, but to suffer hospitalization from this and die. You know, and, and then, you know, there's housing and access, you know, to consistent electricity, which, which we'll discuss later on. The mind boggles, really. The geographic barriers uh, obviously can limit their access to education. At times, must even adhere, uh, interfere with their adherence. And I just wonder if you could provide us with some examples of this sort of thing. And have you found any resources or techniques to help overcome any of these obstacles? So I'm probably going to sound like a broken record here, but one of the biggest ways to to get past these geographic barriers is telehealth telehealth and telehealth listen to our podcast you can get a lot of great information there but you know that this is really used to create access to specialists to credential diabetes educators you know other allied health workers one of the ways to get past this so um, when I go out to my rural communities uh, my remote communities you know you Educate everyone around you. Take away that geographic barrier around you by upskilling all health professionals in these communities. This can be, you know, anyone from the receptionist, the Aboriginal health worker, the practice nurse, the Aboriginal liaison officer, the local dietitian, exercise physiologist. This is just to name a few. I'll talk to anyone who will listen, pr pretty much. But you know, this is really the tie that lifts all boats. You you might be the first diabetes educator to visit this area in quite some time, if there is ever been one at all. And so, you know, these formal, informal, you know, chats that we have in the hallway or the tea room, adding your clinical reasoning in your notes is so important. Sharing of peer-reviewed journal articles, anything that, you know, that really feels important. As long as people don't feel like you're preaching, you know, you would be surprised at how interested everyone is. You know, I love a good, you know, nerd out session on diabetes and it doesn't have to be boring. You know, it can, it can be fun. It can be light. It can be conversational. 
you know, I, I think it's it's really important to be accessible and to be approachable and to have the utmost uh, respect for the people working around you. You know, we have all dedicated our careers to helping others and no one was born an expert. So there's, you know, Often I find that, you know, there's this erroneous expectation that the GP must be an expert in all things, but we, we're CDEs, we, we have a specialty for a reason. You know, we're here to support and be an active and effective members of the team. And, and we do that more easily through, through trust and, and through rapport building. So we, we find that, you know, this upskilling of the team around you is, is really what encourages that trust between practitioners and, and improves patient outcomes. And also, you know, we find a, a massive decline in clinical inertia. And so and, and by the way, although this is a bit of work at the start, you know, and this in this process, it, it can take years, it can take months. But at the end of the day, it does make your job easier and it definitely makes your job more enjoyable. Thanks for that, Laura. People living in rural and remote communities, I guess, are often exposed to extreme weather conditions, as we've seen in recent times, and I think you mentioned earlier. Can you describe how extreme weather can impact on your diabetes management in your experience? Yes. So, you know, one of the, one of the first things that, that typically happens most is that what a lot of people don't realize is that a glucometer's accuracy or BGL meters, you know, can be greatly affected by the extreme heat and the extreme cold that we experience out here in the bush. You know, the, the contour next one meter by SNCI I found has been particularly useful for my extreme weather areas um, in terms of consistency and accuracy. But, you know, just, just think about it. Have you ever considered, you know, power outages that we have in the bush? You know, you can imagine what could possibly happen to someone's insulin when it's 48 degrees Celsius outside, you know, whether it's sitting on their kitchen counter or even in the fridge, if the power's out, you know, you know, then their levels go off and, you know, that not really easy non-compliant labels tends to come out again, but sometimes it's their insulin has been compromised, you know, and there's a significant portion of my patients, not just in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, but who might not even have access to a fridge at all. You know, it's not just only having the money to go and buy it, it's having the car to get to the store and the store might be three hours away. So, you you know, also on the on the flip side is that in the winter we have severe overnight, you know, low temperatures, and this greatly affects our patient. You know, um, as a good number of housing um, that we have available doesn't have any insulation at all. So we have issues, you know, of holes in the floors, you know, of, of our patients' homes, um, and this can also um, uh, greatly affect temperature regulation inside the house, affecting their health overall as well as the quality of, of their medicines. Uh, we can also have flooding, although not lately, no rain at all. Um, but, you know, this flooding can cut roads and isolates a person for, you know, any number of days from accessing healthcare or replacing medicines, having access to an ambulance. You know, I think especially when, when you live in major cities, um, you know, and you work with patients who live rurally and remotely, you have to consider that their day-to-day -day lives are likely to be much different than yours. So what I encourage is, is just to ask questions, to, to not judge, and to be ready to come up with some outside-the-box solutions. But the most important important thing um, that, that we need to do is, is listen to understand and not listen to respond um, because they're likely um, encountering situations that, that you would have never encountered yourself. How true. 
And finally, Laura, what resources or technologies are used to support people with diabetes who live in rural and remote areas? I'm constantly looking for new and improved technologies and resources. And I'm always happy to to give something a go. I love to be the first to try things. Um, But things that come to mind, you know, are cloud programs attached to various apps, um, some programs such as LibreView, CareLink, Clarity, Diasend, and a simple phone call or pictures of patient records, you know, their BGL records that can be sent through text message all have um, uh, have been incredibly useful in addressing, um, you know, the burden of distance. Um, you know, of course, there's smart glucometers for insulin dosing where appropriate. And, um, you know, eventually I'll be using a patient portal where I can have access to information and protocols that can be easily accessed online or by an app, you know, on their phone. Uh, you know, and like I said, telehealth is also excellent. Um, and when video conferencing, I, also, I often use Skype, Zoom or FaceTime. However, I do use Zoom the most. Thanks again, Laura. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have one of the highest rates of type 2 diabetes and its complications both nationally and globally. Are there any additional challenges you've encountered working with with people in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities in particular? So I think that we always need to come from a place of trust and respect for every person's lived experience of diabetes and be open to everyone in all circumstances, living a very different life to our own. You know, when working um, in Torres Strait Islander and Aboriginal communities, it's important that respect must always come first as well as consistency and then trust will follow. You know, every community is different. Every family is different, you know, and, and I, I think it's important to always ask what is happening in the community. Is there sorry business that's mourning? Is a family family member unwell? Uh, what is their not only lived experience of diabetes to date, but what is their experience working with health professionals? What has worked before? What hasn't? Who lives in your household? Um, who are the elders in, in your community? You know, and a lot of my work involves listening before I offer my opinion or possible strategies for management. And that's kind of, you know, where again, where I really encourage everyone to listen to understand, not to respond. You know, as an example, I worked in, in a Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community where for a stretch of time there was a death in the community nearly every month and, and seemingly on, on the fortnight. So there was sor- sorry business, which is a term for mourning. And so, you know, appointments, they weren't attended, phones weren't answered, medications weren't taken. And this was not non-compliance. This was not non-adherence. This this was overwhelming grief, you know, and patient by patient, family by family. We, we took the time. We listened. We held hands. We cried. And we were consistent. We still went to the health service. We never missed a clinic, even if no one showed, even if no one was scheduled. They knew that we were there. And if you can imagine how hard it would be during this time, if your family is dying all around you, seeing someone, a diabetes specialist, a di- you know, a credentialed diabetes educator can be similar to addressing your own mortality and, and the psychological pain of that. You know, but, but we were consistent and we were there for the community when each person was ready again. You know, and I, I think, you know, it's very easy to dismiss someone who doesn't attend, is not engaged, not adherent or not compliant. But I encourage everyone, ask and to listen and to always purvey respect, you know, for lives that might be quite different than your own lived experience. I, I think we've all have had encounters, you know, with other with other people and kind of left the conversation feeling like, oh, they might think I'm a bit crazy or or, or that didn't go well. Or I didn't feel like that person liked me. You know, when, when you're not purveying respect in everything you do, pe- people feel it, you know, and, and I think it's really important to come in with, with the right mindset, with, with the right attitude. And, and this is how we can we can really um, serve our communities best. Thank you so much for your time and your insight today, Laura. That's been fascinating from my perspective.
Before we conclude the conversation, though, I wonder if there are three take-home messages you would have for our listeners. So rural and remote health, it, it can be challenging. It's, it's not easy. If it was easy, everyone would do it. But it's the most rewarding work that I have done by far in my career. So my advice is to get out here and give it a go. Be open, be flexible, be innovative, and enjoy the beautiful people that, that you have the opportunity to work with. You know, often I say I learn more from my patients than they can ever learn with me and 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 no day no two days are the same you know i'd like to encourage everyone all to also look for um our our podcast uh through itunes it's called your health now guide to empowered living um you can hear from myself and dr marin tomei a general physician and endocrinologist we we cover a wide range topics such as sexual health everything you wanted to ask a specialist about diabetes and you know and professional burnout to name a few so go ahead and describe now thank you jan thank you for your time today Thank you, Laura. Um, and as I said, thank you once again to you as well. It really has been great to talk to you and hear your insights on on an area that many of us don't experience. I'm sure that this podcast has inspired our listeners to start thinking about working towards expanding their skills in this area. And as you say, get out here and help. And you've definitely given them some insights into working with clients in rural and remote areas. And thank you to the members and listeners for taking the time to listen to this podcast today. And until next time, goodbye and thank you. Thank you.